Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your rigging ropes aren't just tools of the trade. They do the grunt work. They have to endure dynamic loads, abrasion, and moving through hardware while keeping you safe, which is why Samson rigging ropes are specifically designed and engineered to meet the rigors of your job, the result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Stable braid rigging line is the industry standard for arborists. A durable polyester double braid rope with a high strength to weight ratio, torque-free construction with UV protection. Put Stable Braid to work for you. Stable Braid from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information. I don't really know how to start this one, man. I don't know any of this stuff that you have brought up, including like, um, you know, just the government stuff. I don't know what I'm looking for. All right. Well, I was thinking about this a little bit and I thought it could be fun um, just where we are now, talk a little bit about what's uncertain still, where we are right now on January 4th, and then kind of move into what is certain and what we know will come to pass and sort of kind of uh, outline where we are through that. Because unfortunately, there is still some things that are uncertain, but there are a lot of things we do know. So um, I don't know if that sounds like a good approach to you, but that's sort of what I was thinking. Let's, uh, let's start off that way. That makes sense to me. So what Right now, in terms of uncertainty, mm-hmm. what is still uncertain as we're as we're looking towards all of these elections and everything else going on in the world? Yeah, so really on the federal level, the only thing that's still uncertain is the Georgia Senate races. So um, as I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard quite a bit about, there's still two outstanding races for Senate in Georgia. Um, And those both are going to a runoff, both on January 5th. And so basically, control of that chamber is up in the air. It could either be 52 to 48 Republican control or uh, 50-50 Democratic control, because as you know, the uh, vice president, it can serve as the tiebreaker in that chamber. And so there's a lot, those are already the most expensive Senate races ever. There's a lot on the line there. most people, I say it could go either of those two ways. Technically, it could split where each party wins one, but um, it seems like not many people are predicting. It seems like most people are saying it's going to go one way or the other. And so just with that fact, that me that has huge implications for the first two years of the Biden administration, because if uh, both Democrats win those elections, that would give, I should say, Democrats control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And obviously, it's much easier to move your agenda through uh, when that's the case versus when you don't control one chamber. And so both Democrats and Republicans are placing a lot of emphasis on these races. And and so that's really the major source of uncertainty at this point. So forgive me if this is you know, a question that's already been asked a million times before, but what what does that mean for like the tree care companies in yeah. general? If, you know, it goes one way or the other, I guess kind of not why should they care, but what what is going to be the impact of whatever way it swings? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Something we think about a lot. I think if the Democrats do win um, both those races, I think there's been a lot of talk on both sides about some, so if though, so these races have um, a lot of impact on the legislation we're going to see. I think either way, it's 
neither party's going to be whoever ends up winning neither party's going to have a very strong majority and so i think it's going to be pretty measured um legislative wise i think um and i think both parties are going to be looking for some areas of compromise to kind of show that they can get something done i know uh president-elect biden has placed um a large emphasis on that and so things like infrastructure, workforce development, paid leave, a federal paid leave program, those are all sort of areas that have bipartisan support and would, no matter kind of who wins, you would see probably those things being talked about a lot at, there's always a question of if it's even going to get done with Congress, but that's sort of something we're going to see. And if Democrats win, you're probably going to see um, through Congress more of a focus on a lot of labor issues, which would impact uh, TCI members, uh, things like a crackdown on independent contractor misclassification, maybe a push for a higher minimum wage, uh, $15 gets thrown around a lot, but that's something that wouldn't happen overnight. None of this is going to happen overnight, but that's one, that's an area that would obviously impact members. And then um, other things, more regulatory things like ban the box is something we've heard a lot about, which is for those who don't know, it would mandate that employers remove the checkbox asking if applicants for a job have a criminal record. Um, That's been a push in some states and it's growing more popular. And so that's something we could see move forward depending on who takes control of the Senate. And so it all kind of sounds like kind of, I don't want to say minor things, but it's not, you're not going to see a wholesale change in how things work um, with the relatively small majorities, no matter who controls these chambers so yeah i mean from what it sounds like it sounds like that regardless things are going to be getting done um but it's just kind of the scope i guess is is changed depending on who ends up with the most seats kind of going off that i think we are really drilling down into like things that um, specifically would impact TCIA. But on a broad sense, I do think that COVID-19, both the sort of vaccine distribution and economic recovery are probably, especially in 2021, which is the first year of the Biden administration, those are really going to take sort of the, um, those are going to be the priorities overall, I would say. Especially, we don't really know how the vaccine rollout at this point is, I think, according to some people going slowly. And so people are going to want to see that speed up a little. And then um, we just had uh, one economic stimulus bill passed. Um, The Biden administration and some in Congress are already calling for another one. Um, And so what would be in those for TCIA members and sort of uh, the economy at large is going to take up a lot of airtime in Congress, I'm sure. Yeah, I can imagine. And because you brought it up, uh, covid Mm-hmm. Obviously, things aren't going away. What's some more up-to-date information that you have or you know where tree care companies can go and get this kind of stuff? Because, you know, with the vaccine coming, there's been a lot of talk from various employers about who's going to be taking it and how they have to take it or they're not going to take it. Kind of what do you know that is higher level than what we've been hearing? Yeah, so I think at this point, the CDC is a really great resource for a lot of those questions. They're sort of the ones who are giving the states. So they sort of write like their recommendations and then pass that off to the states. And so for like that top level, like information on what that federal agency thinks, like 
They're a really great resource. They lay things out pretty clearly. Their website's easy to navigate. And then when you get further down, you can also go to your state health department website. They sort of, um, cause with this vaccine distribution, I think one of the sources of confusion at this point is sort of like who's in charge and who makes these decisions. And at the end of the day, it is the states um, under our system of government, the states make those sort of day-to-day decisions. And so they get to decide who is the priority populations and who aren't. And so, and oftentimes, depending on the state, one state is more equipped to do that than another state. But so those are sort of two good resources for that sort of thing. And then that is also kind of all subject to change um, after January 20th, when a new administration takes over. Um, It's, it remains to be seen how the Biden administration is going to handle that sort of information. Like if they're going to try and give more guidance to the states or let the states do their own thing, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. And I'm not sure anybody knows at this point. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think from my perspective, there's still a lot more questions that keep getting you know, brought up with every single day that keeps mm-hmm. moving forward. There's just another question another question. Um, and a lot of things are going unanswered. So I think, you know, I'm speaking for myself, but you know, it's really easy to feel insecure during these times of change, especially if you're not used to any of this kind of stuff. But I I just want to kind of point out the fact that, you know, TCIA has been working with government and government officials for so many years now and so many cabinet changes and all this other kind of stuff that this isn't really anything new to us. Yeah. And I think um, TCIA is really in a good position to like once, like we're not going to jump in front of like healthcare workers for a vaccine or anything like that, obviously. But I think like once we get to that position where like vaccines are available for the general public, like I think we can be a good source of information and resources, kind of like you said, for um, both government officials and our members. And um, that's kind of a really good role for TCI to have and something that we definitely look forward to, especially I think we all want to get out, get back to normal as soon as possible. And it's going to, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be an interesting year, but I think we'll get there. Definitely. And, you know, just pointing again that we've been through this, well, not you and I, obviously, but, TCIA has been through this, mm-hmm. you know, been through all of these different changes and gone through and navigated and still been making changes. Even, you know, this year has been, or, sorry, 2020. It's not this year anymore. 2020 yeah. has been a lot overall, mm-hmm. but we've also been through a lot of other years that have also been a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're in a good place. We're still going to be influencing changes. And one of those, um, is with OSHA and mm-hmm. I believe you want to talk about the OSHA update that we have. Yeah, so kind of we, I want to go in sort of two different places with OSHA. Um, we obviously focus a lot of our federal sort of presence on OSHA and the Department of Labor as a whole. And one quick thing I wanted to point out is that we still do not know who Biden's uh, going to nominate for the Secretary of Labor. And the Secretary of Labor is the one who oversees OSHA. And so we, Uh, We're still waiting on that. We'll probably know pretty soon. And then that, as you know, is a Senate-confirmed position. So it's going to be a while before someone is confirmed as the head of the Secretary of Labor, most likely. And so that could cause some interesting 
I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch OSHA in the Department of Labor as a whole coming up. But anyway, back to what I wanted to talk about two things. The first is that there is very likely to be an emergency temporary standard on COVID-19 coming in the early days of the Biden administration. And what that means is that basically OSHA has the authority to, in times of emergency, or if there's an emergency that they see in workplaces around the country, they can issue a standard. Um, and so what that would look like for COVID is basically mandating sort of CDC guidance, you know, masks and social distancing and all of that sort of thing in employers nationwide. And so this is something that a lot of employers obviously already do, but there's just it's just going to give a little more of the sort of force of law to OSHA to enforce this and make sure that they punish any bad actors who are real. You see, like some companies have ridiculously high COVID cases, and that's not really something we see in our industry, but it's just something that we want our members to be aware of that there will be something that's going to look a lot like one that happened in California that passed recently. And so if you want to learn a little more about that, uh, the January edition of the TCI magazine has a whole article kind of going into depth on what, going into detail on what that COVID standard's likely to look like. And so we'll be keeping our eye on that once we get that official, um, the official word from Washington that that's happening. But still wait and see at this point. How quickly can that go into effect? Obviously, it's an emergency order, but like, is that like a day of, like get sworn in, then immediately pass it yeah. through yeah it could be um since it so it's not like um it does it can it's all via the executive branch um the department of labor and osha and so yeah that can go into effect very quickly and so what's going to happen most likely is that they will put it into effect probably within 15 or 30 days and then they're going to put out a whole bunch of resources to help businesses comply with that standard um it's going to require some record keeping requirements, um, just some like written safety, COVID safety plans, that sort of thing. And so on something like this, we expect some pretty uh, good amount of resources. Sometimes OSHA isn't the best on providing resources for their requirements. But in this case, since it's such like, this is going to be the focus of OSHA, we expect some pretty substantial resources and we will be, we'll be on top of this one because this is going to apply to every single one of our members. And so it is a big deal. And so we want to make sure that our members aren't are, are aware of all that's going on, but yeah, it can happen pretty quick. That, I mean, that's just seems pretty incredible, but then you realize that we've been doing this for a year basically at this point. So this is really mostly just going to affect companies that aren't currently compliant with the, you know, social distancing and mask wearing and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah, and we expect, I mean, I don't want to take, like, say it's not going to affect our members. It will. It's like in California, we saw there were some provisions that aren't necessarily as practical as you might like. Like, obviously, someone in OSHA isn't going to know the nuts and bolts of, like, being on a job site all day and what, like, has happened. And so we'll, that's all something we'll figure out. But this is going to be a big change because, um, Obviously, there, um, this last administration, there was no emergency temporary standard on COVID. It was something that was considered. But this um, OSHA didn't really didn't want to go that route. And so they have handed out some penalties for, for some COVID violations. But we expect that the enforcement of these violations is really going to step up with the new administration. What does, all right, this is going to be like just a weird question, but what does like the cost of these penalties look like? How much are we looking at? Would you just 
can you yeah. ballpark it or is it it's i mean is it all dependent on it depends but um violations can definitely range into the multiple thousands so it's definitely not a small um a small number but the other well maybe a, even a bigger detriment than the money that you would lose they can also publish your name <laughs> on sort of the osha naughty list and so and that's any any consumer can look that up and so sometimes um, it'll happen where if you Google a business's name that you know has been cited, so say you're looking for something, you can Google their name and then it'll come up that they were cited by OSHA. And so that can, um, everyone thinks about that differently, but that can be a detriment to getting cited by OSHA is having that come up as like on your permanent record, so to speak. Yeah, I was going to ask that and you, you answered it perfectly. Like, you know, so is it just not just the fine? Clearly it's also the not public shaming but mm -hmm. the publication of your name yeah. stating that you can't follow some of the simplest directions exactly and another aspect of it is if you're cited by osha once they have a habit of coming back to their sort of the ones that they cite multiple times so oftentimes getting cited once is like kind of can open the floodgate to other citations and you just don't want that so um yeah. We'll do our best to give all the resources that we can to help because there are going to be some new requirements. And like I said, um, the January edition of TCI Magazine has a whole article on that. But yeah, it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Well, I appreciate you having all of this information because uh, it's a lot. Yeah, for sure. And just one more quick OSHA piece I want to mention is... TCIA has been working on our um, separate standard for tree care for a long time. And so we've been going through this process and then with COVID and with this new administration and with this likely emergency temporary standard coming, um, we've sort of taken a step back. Not that we're not still pushing for this, but it's just not the best, honestly, not the best look to me. <laughs> like, yeah, you're doing all this, like all these things to try and like, stop COVID, uh, but we want our standard to go in front of that. And that's just not practical. And so we're kind of stepping back and waiting and seeing how this all plays out before really making a push to sort of move forward, have the Biden administration move forward with the separate standard. Um, to us, that just seems like the best move. And I think a lot of members would agree that at this point, we can let OSHA deal with COVID and then we'll move on the separate standard after that. Yeah, that makes sense. And you may not know like the exact answer behind this, but mm -hmm. is OSHA still cracking down on our members for OSHA violations currently? Or are they very focused on the 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 COVID situation? I'm not trying to like um, say like, oh, well, this is the time to break the rules. That's, yeah, I'm just curious about where OSHA's priorities are at. Um, I it's kind of a hard question. I'd say that, um, that we have heard OSHA citations. They've continued throughout COVID. And so where their priorities are at, I can't exactly say for sure. And it honestly might be changing pretty soon too with the new administration. And so it is hard to say, but I can say that they have continued. And I can also say that enforcement may be stepped up, you know, with any program like this, depending on the administration, like their like budget priorities and things like that. And I think I have seen that the Biden administration wants to put more money towards like OSHA enforcement. And so that's something we might see. So we might just see that's a very possible reality that we just see more 
OSHA citations moving forward than we did. And that's just a, the simple fact that like that costs money to like pay those OSHA enforce like code enforcement officers and do all that work. And so, but as far as priorities, I can't, I can't speak for that. Yeah. I, I figured that you probably couldn't speak for the entire governmental body, but <laughs> I, I do was, my best. <laughs> it was worth a shot to ask you to yeah. see if, see if somehow it was able to come out like that. Yeah. Um, but it seems like we're, we're still chugging ahead, chugging along. I don't know. I don't know what this is right now. I forgot how the saying goes, but whatever the trains say, <laughs> um, we're still going along with trying to get our OSHA standards done. We're just being strategic about it because obviously the correct approach the first time will allow us to get in the door better than trying to keep doing these um, inopportune pushes where we're going to get pushed to the side. So we'd rather just hit it at the right time. Exactly. And you brought up something, I'm going to butcher how to say this because I always do it, about state licensure, mm-hmm. right? I, yep. I cannot pronounce licensure. <laughs> it's already not sounding like a real word, but um, tell me a little bit more about that because I don't know what that means from this uh, this perspective right now. Yeah. So it's kind of like I almost think of it as a way to sort of um, accomplish what a federal OSHA standard would accomplish, but sort of on a state level. Um, Or even I've heard of uh, licensure on the local level too. But this is something I have heard a lot from TCI members about, and I know my coworkers do as well. And so basically the outline is states have the ability to mandate licenses for certain professions. So you might see like I know New Hampshire has a lot of them, but like barbers need to get a license, nail salons uh, will need a license, construction companies will need a license, things like that. So one idea is our members, um, because a lot of times you'll see tree care companies, the less reputable ones will sort of not do good work, kind of not follow proper safety practices. Um, You hear a lot the sort of truck and a chainsaw and they have a tree care company now. Um, So we see a lot of that. And so just state licensure for arborists is one idea that our members have pushed that could help increase professionalism in the industry and sort of hopefully and give, honestly, give consumers more of an idea of what they're buying. Like they know that this, the company that they're working with has gone through the correct process with the state. It's almost like TCI accreditation, but Definitely not that in depth in most cases, but on a state level, it's a tough thing to explain, but several states have it. Uh, You've probably heard of New Jersey. New Jersey has an arborist license. Maryland has one. Um, California sort of has one. Those are really the big ones that have it. But one thing I would like to do is sort of give our members more resources to uh, pursue that in their own state and sort of give TCIs sort of advice and again those resources to help anyone who help any arborist or group of companies that wants to push for that in their state i was gonna ask and this seems like the appropriate time so tcia's level of involvement we're purely more of the resource provider in this for people in their companies who want to create a licensing program correct yeah so i would love to be able to like go to every state and like try and push for these. Cause I think one really good thing about these is they're popular. Like, I don't think like all, I'm not going to speak for our members, but I think almost any TCI member would be in favor of increasing professionalism in the tree care industry. That's why they're a part of TCIA. 
Oh, a hundred percent. But we're gonna have so, we're gonna have one person who disagrees with us. So you can't okay, say you okay. can't say the uh, the everybody. It's like you're the right, you're nine right. out of ten dentist thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's just no I. So we can't do that on our own, and so we need our members to. There needs to be a group of interest, a group of people interested in this to be able to um, actually move this forward in a given state. And like TCI doesn't have the expertise within a state, within any given state, or um, just the ability to connect with other arborists on the ground that and put in the time and energy into it. We can provide the sort of the legislation that we've seen in other states, sort of guidance on what has gone well and what hasn't and just our name behind any effort like we're happy to provide our support to uh, a well-crafted um, uh, state license but we just can't there's just no uh, not necessarily the bandwidth to get involved on that sort of day-to-day like nuts and bolts um, sort of thing. Yeah and you said for example uh, New Jersey, Maryland, California all have ones that mm-hmm. um, you know, look towards to emulate mm-hmm. who puts together, you know, this, this document of what the license actually looks like. Is this something that uh, Joe Schmo is going to be putting together? Then he comes to us, or is this something that Joe Schmo comes to us with interest saying, I'd like to put together this document. I don't know where to start. I don't really have a group of people. Like, is that what he yeah. comes to us for? And then we start to connect them with, with everybody else who's also said the same things and then we work with them that way? Um, it can depend. It really depends. That's a great, really great question. One. So I'm going to sort of give an anecdote of um, one thing we've heard from one state is we had, so there were basically a couple of accidents from non TCI members, but in like doing tree care work within a given state. And so, and I believe they were both in a state senator's um, district And so he basically gets in contact with someone in the industry and he's like, what the heck is happening? Like, I can't believe these guys don't need a license to do this or don't need any training or don't need anything. And he was surprised about that. And so basically then he got connected with us. And so then that kind of started the ball rolling and you kind of, so one thing you do need is to actually really move one of these things forward is a group of kind of, uh, what do you call a, um, a coalition that's a good word for it um nice. of, i like that word yeah of businesses who are interested in this and want to see it happen it's really hard to for just one business to to push this forward and so you kind of need it's good to hear from a lot of people who want this to happen but that's not the only way to start this like you can approach a state lawmaker you as a private person or as a business with an idea and they might say oh that's a great idea or they might say no I'm not interested I don't want to do it and so it really helps to hear from multiple people especially in that case but one thing I can say is it's very unlikely that lawmakers are going to come to the industry in general unprovoked and so it could be an accident that provokes them but usually it's best to approach them with with something that's what i've found yeah that that makes sense that they're going to be a little more reactive than proactive because definitely first off they probably don't know what they're looking for until something catastrophic happens mm-hmm. so um, not to throw you under the bus but if you need help with any of this stuff you can always reach out to aiden Please he do. is he's more than willing to 
to get you started in whatever process you may choose. Yeah. Hopefully I'm not speaking for you right now, but uh, no, definitely not. Um, I think I would go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think I was just saying, I think it's important to know that you can also approach them yourself in your own way that you don't have to come to us, but just to know that we are here as a resource and a support system to, mm-hmm. to help out tree care companies is super important because I said it last time you were on, I don't actually ever think about reaching out to my local politician. <laughs> it just doesn't click through my head. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it it seems like a good idea because I'm sure there's, there's plenty of people reaching out to them, but not quite for the reasons they're expecting. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a great point. I think um, just, I would be remiss to say we've gone through all of this on how really great these licenses can be and I think they can be but there's also always the issue of so it sounds great from our perspective but you're going to get a million different perspectives as it goes through the legislative process and it may not come out perfectly and that's okay and they things can always be improved upon but that's sort of sort of an issue that I think it's good to know going in that you might face opposition and you might face people writing these regulations or contributing to them that either don't know the industry or do know the industry and just have their own interests in mind. And so that's sort of the caveat to all of this. But I think with the with TCI putting out these resources and um, the information and sort of being doing what we can to help, I think there is potential for this to move forward um, on a state-by-state basis. And I think that'd be really great. Any way we can increase professionalism in the industry and also help consumers, I think that's a win-win. Yeah, no, most most definitely. And how does this go along with you know our push for a separate OSHA uh, regulation? Would this then, so say today we got, just for example, because it's not going to happen, but in one week, next week, New Hampshire had put together uh, a tree care license and started basically putting the rules together based on what are they basing those standards off of and would they have to change them once the the OSHA standard gets pushed through hopefully yeah that's a good question so the OSHA standard is probably going to be a little different but it could it would be it would make this a lot easier I would say that if there if we had a standard currently because it would be pretty easy for states to reference that and sort of um, for those who don't know, I should say the OSHA standard, our intention is for it to look a lot like the Z ANSI Z133 standards. So, but as far as what a state does, it could, so that would, the OSHA standard would sort of establish a minimum and then the state could still mandate that basically you would need to get a license even if you do follow it, you would just have to sort of show that you follow those standards but they could also go beyond that if they wanted to. There are some things constraining that as well, but they could go be stricter than whatever. I don't want to get into exactly what that may look like, but they could theoretically be more strict than that OSHA standard. But I kind of think of them as sort of two different things that almost kind of try and accomplish the same thing, but I don't want to mix them too closely together, but there is some overlap, but it's, that's something that you kind of, when you're going through the process of trying to push for a license in your state, that's something you would run into and you would be able to sort it out there. Um, it's kind of hard to talk about in the abstract, but it's not, it wouldn't be, neither 
both of them could coexist peacefully. Let's see. <laughs> I just I just like throwing up these big hypothetical questions yeah. to you with no real cut and dry answer. You, you keep know. me on my toes. I hope that makes sense to anybody listening. <laughs> it makes it makes sense to me. Um, All right. <laughs> I'm just going to assume the average listener is smarter than me about yeah. this kind of stuff. So I'm assuming it makes more than enough sense to them, but yeah. No, that that all makes sense. I was just curious just because of the fact that like, you know, like you said, they're they're not the same, but they're trying to accomplish the same goal of safety and professionalism mm-hmm. and maintaining a higher standard of 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 working. Yeah. So, I guess in the end they're both aiming for the same goal, they're just two different ways about getting there. Yeah, and I think like it would be interesting to know like what other industries have done because there are lots of industries that obviously have their own OSHA standards and there are a lot of industries those same industries would also have licenses in different states so that's something I'll look into maybe on the next podcast we can talk a little bit about that if people are interested we'll see what the feedback is after we keep keep planning out these episodes right before uh, important political decisions I feel like I'm gonna gonna give you one immediately afterwards so you can better discuss it (laughs) <laughs> rather than keep doing this to you is there is there anything else you want to touch base about um actually there would be one thing it's sort of the um so with that stimulus bill that just passed um i actually didn't talk about that much the 600 but... one yeah for you... <laughs> yeah uh, the sorry. Six... there's there's a lot of stimulus bills going on right now yeah so the um stimulus bill that it sort of was looped in with the um government appropriations bill, but it was basically $900 billion of stimulus for the economy, um, sort of broken into thirds, I kind of like to think of it. It was Mm -hmm. about roughly $300 billion of those direct payments to Americans, the $600 check that you either have seen or will see hopefully soon for most listeners. And then there's um, enhanced unemployment. So kind of bringing it's an extra $300 of uh, benefits on top of your state benefits if you're unemployed. Um, so that's half of the 600 that was kind of in place from uh, spring to summer of 2020. And then um, most relevant for TCI members was the reauthorization of the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. And so I just want um, members to be aware that that's happening. So if they're interested in that, we have a lot of resources on a website and we'll be putting more out about sort of the new provisions, basically, as a high level look, they made it a lot easier to get a loan, get the loan forgiven. And they're allowing um, certain businesses to get another PPP loan if they've already gotten one. And they made the expenses that you spend the PPP on tax deductible, which is real, that's really big news, um, and something a lot of businesses had been pushing for. And so glad to report all good news there. You'll be hearing more from TCIA soon about all of that. Once we get sort of the guidance from the government on how to implement that, we'll have more information. But that's sort of a top level look on something that just recently happened. Cool. Thank you for letting us know. Yeah. And you don't have to answer this part if you don't want, because I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to cause problems or whatever. But yeah, um, the original PPP, didn't that come with basically a lot of problems afterwards? Like people weren't receiving it or... Am I 
totally yeah. off off base no, with this so kind of stuff. The PPP went into effect and they said, all right, you can like the first day back in it must have been early April 2020, they said, All right, come on, you can apply for your PPP loan here on this website. And then the website crashed. <laughs> and so um we've come a long way since then. Um everything I've heard um is that the program is working pretty well. I found that the best advice that I've seen given and what I've I've heard good response from is to talk to the bank that you plan to work with either before you get the PPP loan or after when it's sort of the forgiveness piece of it is pending. They'll give you, they can sort of speak to the, they have the experience with the program on sort of both ends, both with the government and with the businesses. And so they're like the best resource to talk to. So talk to your banker if you haven't already and if you have any questions about it. Okay. Well, that, that answers that one. I just remember yeah. hearing the the grumblings about it. That... Well, and a lot of businesses that maybe shouldn't have gotten PPP loans did. And some of them have given them back and probably many more haven't. But um, it did do a really good thing for our members especially and um, many other businesses across the country. But you do always hear about those um, groups that maybe shouldn't have that did. But that's okay. The Lakers got a PPP loan. Isn't that great? <laughs> And TB12, <laughs> your quarterback. He's not my quarterback. <laughs> not anymore. He's dead, He's dead to me. Yeah. After you lose a fantasy football season for me like you do, you blow up spectacularly. I had the best regular season record up until you came along and yeah. won nine straight or whatever yeah. it was at the back. Second place. I... Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your climbing ropes aren't just tools of the trade. Your life literally depends on them. Specifically designed to endure any environment you throw at them, Samson climbing lines not only meet the rigors of your job, but are engineered to keep you safe. The result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Hyperclimb is a new 100% polyester 11.7 millimeter double braid climbing line engineered for both moving and stationary rope systems that run well with your hardware and Pru6. Hyperclimb's low elongation is key for long ascents and dual purpose climbing. Hyperclimb from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information.